we got a little bit of good news and bad news in Blue Jays land right now. So Ethan Diamandis and I, Mitch Bannon, are going to break it all down in our podcast this week. We're going to cover the bubbling frustrations and some recent Blue Jays losses, and then turn to the positive side, hitting on some prospects who are catching eyes in Toronto's minors right now, and preview a weekend series against the Tampa Bay Rays. Thanks as always for listening, and this is the Inside the Blue Jays podcast. Mitch, it's everyone seems to be upset, and I, I'd like to say there's no reason for Blue Jays fans to be upset, but the team has been struggling. There's there's no doubt they're now three and seven in their last ten, uh, getting spanked by the Yankees in a two game series at Yankee Stadium certainly doesn't help. Um, Toronto can't hit with runners in scoring position. That was uh, I think you and I had a conversation a few weeks ago about. When, when is this going to become a story? When is this going to become a talking point? And, uh, you know, we had faith that Toronto would be able to turn it around, but they haven't. So that's still a problem, a big problem, perhaps Toronto's biggest problem. Um, and Springer, George Springer and Charlie Montoyo told the media after Wednesday's game that they think the team is pressing just a little bit. Something's not right. Um, Mitch, what have you seen? Is there any good? Is it all bad? What What's your early reaction to uh, the month of May for Toronto? Yeah, I think first things first, they're 17 and 15. This is like not a Boston Red Sox S disaster so far. So like they can take a, everyone can take a little bit of a deep breath, but also I think the frustrations are warranted. I think very rarely last year were the fan base frustrations matched with on-field player frustrations like yeah at times the bullpen was a disaster last year I'm sure that bullpen was not feeling so great about themselves but the team always kind of embodied the on to the next mentality but I think the team frustrations are right there with the fan base frustrations right now maybe that's just because expectations are different like this team's expecting to win the world series they want to win the world series you don't have kind of the room to figure something out so uh yeah I think it's interesting to see kind of maybe this is the first time this team's been truly frustrated with this core. Like they've been on the come up. They kind of have had things go their way. Obviously they had one crucial game, not go their way at some point last year, but they still had like a pretty upbeat season. I think this is the first true adversity we've seen for this squad aside from that bullpen blow up last year. And we're going to see if they can get through it. Mm -hmm. This is Toronto's now on a four-game losing streak, and that would be the longest, well, it is the longest losing streak since, I believe, June of 2021. Wow. Um, so when you think about, I mean, Tron, most of Toronto's big struggles, and you mentioned the bullpen blowups were, you know, prior to June. They were in May, and they were, they were in June as well. Um, and then Toronto really, really picked it up afterwards. So I guess if you're looking at that as a Blue Jays fan, you could be a little excited because you saw the team go on some nasty win streaks, and I think last year they got it up as high as 10, 10 games in a row. Yeah, I think there was nine. like an eight, nine. They like swept the Yankees, swept the athletics. Yeah, it was eight or nine, 10. And that yeah. was that was the climax of the season. There's no doubt that Lourdes Grand Slam at Rogers Center, all that fun stuff. Um, I guess to be on more of an optimistic lens, um, it was it was it was pretty bad in New York, but 
Um, we saw Yusei Kikuchi look really good again, which is exciting because um, he was working on stuff. He's working on his delivery. He's based, and as, as you pointed out, uh, he's basically turning into Robbie Ray. <laughs> like, they, I thought those were jokes when they're like, hey, like, we see a little Robbie Ray. I think Charlie Montoya basically said, like, he linked him, like, we've seen what we've done with Robbie Ray. And, like, he's got a little bit of that in him. And everyone's, like, looking at kind of sideways. And then the last two starts, he just has been Robbie Ray. Yeah, he's been awesome. Fastball, cutter, and that's pretty much it, right? Well, his, his cutter, uh, slider Unnamed. cutter unnamed moving pitch <laughs> yeah um yeah it's he's, he's he's been awesome and i don't know how many walks he had on it's tuesday think, i think yeah. it's three maybe yeah three or four he had yeah. a no hitter going into the sixth inning which is pretty good uh, against the yankees especially um yeah he's looked awesome and i think you know they've they've tapped into something kikuchi admitted as much that it was hard to adjust a little bit i think coming to, to a new team new country new pitching staff, um, new coaching staff as well. Um, he looks comfortable. And I think that's, that's optimistic because, you know, anything they were going to get out of Kikuchi, I think was a bonus. Um, and, you know, if he can continue that, that's awesome. Um, another guy who's picked it up a little bit lately is Bo Bichette. We're seeing more of those contact numbers. Uh, some of those, you know, multi-hit games that were missing uh, at the beginning of the year. And, you know, he hasn't really hit for a ton of power, but that's all right. I think that'll come around. I think the most encouraging thing is that he's making more contact because he is the guy who led the American League in hits last year. Um, but overall, the lineup has, has struggled. And you mentioned peak frustration, sort of, in the first time we've seen this core and this unit really frustrated. Um and it's, it's visible it, it there's, there's no, they're not hiding it. We've seen Vladdy um, argue with umpires show a lot of emotion. He came very close to being ejected last time the, the team was in Toronto. Um, and he and broke he a bat. is a bat over his leg. Yeah. That smashes was the bat over his heart's knee. impressive and scary. <laughs> yeah. That would freak me out. Um, I wouldn't buzz his collar after that one, but. Yeah, and then even on Charlie Montoyo's end, he, I mean, he's been ejected three times already this season. In his previous three years, only four ejections. So he's channeling his inner John Gibbons uh, and getting his money's worth. But it it just seems like the, the team is, is frustrated. They're trying to do too much. Yeah, it seems like guys are, are chasing the ball more. Lourdes, uh, Guriel Jr. especially. Matt Chapman, that's part of his profile, but he's been chasing too. I guess from your perspective, um, what do you think needs to change? Is there something specific that you can zone in on that you think Toronto, you know, could could do to to improve the runners in scoring position, hitting, you know, to 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 flip the script a little bit because it it seems to be, you know, a whole lot of the same for Toronto and a whole lot of the same struggles. Yeah, I think it might be too reductive and like not an analytical answer at all, but. I think the the chases you're seeing, and I think Chris Black had a nice thread about it today. Like they are just uh, objectively chasing more in these two strike counts and in below two strikes when there's uh, runners in scoring position. And they're an aggressive team. That's part and parcel with what they do. That's why a lot of these guys are really good. But I think it you can it's maybe overstated, but guys are trying to do too much. I think that's actually what it is. You can see it. So I think it's 
once a couple guys start hitting, it'll take the pressure off of everybody. I think George Springer and Vlad, you can see it in their bats, kind of feel like they're the offense right now. And for a, a large reason, they are, because they're the two guys who are kind of hitting in all situations right now. So I think it's kind of trusting the guys behind you uh, and maybe it works itself out. But if it doesn't, I'd be open to kind of some lineup changes. I think Charlie Montoyo has said that he doesn't have any intentions on doing that anytime soon. And I think a lot of it is the guys who are in the positions they like, especially those guys at the top, Springer leadoff, Vlad third, Bo second. They really like those spots. And obviously you're going to kind of defer to the players because lineup construction at the end of the day doesn't really impact run scoring at all. But I have kind of always been pro Bo in the cleanup spot. I think he's a great run scorer. I think him and Teo are probably the two guys you want behind the high on base guys because they can slap the ball all over and they can score runs in a variety of different ways. They can get the single the opposite field. They can crank the huge homer. Those are kind of the guys I would want in your traditional three, four, five spots. So if it kind of slides, I would be open to moving Bo down to four, bumping everyone else up. I love Vlad in two hole. I know he likes hitting three or, or has chosen or has been the guy they've chosen to hit third, but I would be okay to small tweaks like that. The thing is you're going to need everyone to kind of make a hit when they're up. So Alejandro Kirk and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. match happen are still going to be below those guys in the lineup. And it's still going to kind of be on everybody to get a timely hit. So there's only so much you can do. I think they're not going to go out and make a made trade for a big bat. It's kind of just letting it work itself out. Mm-hmm. So your ideal, let's, let, let's, let's break it down. So Springer, Bichette, then you'd go, no, excuse me, sorry, Springer, Vlad, uh, Hernandez, Bichette, and then, I get, I mean, maybe some guys could benefit. I mean, it, it's honestly, when you think about the lineup after the job four, it's kind of just like pick your yeah. poison, right? Like Kirk has shown plenty of signs of improving, but he's still not all the way there yet. And especially with runners in scoring position, he's one for 19. That is no bueno. Um, Chapman has struggled in similar situations. Lourdes got off to a good, good start. I think saw a lot of positivity, a lot of progress in terms of his approach, especially with how often he chased pitches that's come undone a touch lately. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how much a lineup switch could help, but I don't know. I, I see, I see Toronto not doing the little things properly and that's, you know, when there's a guy on second here, let me, let me put it this way. There's like individual approaches and there's team approaches. And, you know, a guy like Rymel Tapia, for example, who's, you know, traded to Toronto, acquired by Toronto because he brings something different. He's not an exceptional baseball player by any circumstances. He's not an all-star. You know, he's just, he gives a different look than Randall Gritchick. He's a contact guy. He's left-handed. He's got some wheels and he's a contact guy. He's there to put the ball in play. And in situations where, you know, there's a guy on second and there's no outs, you need as a team, the bottom of the lineup to move guys over. You just do it, whether that's a bunt, a ground ball to the right side, get them over. And then when there's a guy on third with one out or less, you got to get him in. And there's been a lot of times and it's reflected in the runners in scoring position, you know, the poor stats there where guys are striking out or popping up and there's not a lot of, I, I just don't see any visible physical adjustments to the lack of clutch hitting. So whether that's guys that need to 
choke up with runners in scoring position or when you need a contact play. So someone like Tapia, who is super contact hitter, you know, he used to do in his days in Colorado and days in the minor leagues, he would do a, a massive crouch when he would get into two strikes. It seems like he's gone away from that a little bit. Um, I'd like, and I, I, maybe this is just a sign of the times and that, you know, major league hitters don't like to stray away from their approach too much. You know, they're taught a certain thing. And even with two strikes, they don't like to, to change that, but I'd like to see some guys take the, the Joey Votto approach and, and choke up or like Corey Dickerson did last year, right. Used to see him choke up quite a bit. I, I, I'd love to see that because I think it would show someone trying to make a substantial change. And I don't think it has anything to do with talent. I think it all has to do with approach. Um, so I, I'd like to see those changes because Toronto's playing close games and sometimes that's all the difference. Yeah. And I think you mentioned that they are playing close games. Like obviously objectively the runners in scoring position hitting has been bad, but I don't think it would be nearly the storyline. It was if the offense as a whole was just like kind of, scoring runs getting like a, if you get a three home run three run home run in the first with the guy in first and or with a, a two run home run with the guy in first who cares about the running scoring position stats you're you're mm-hmm. getting runs so i think it's they might be hesitant to make big changes because they know this offense should probably be really good if the offense isn't going to hit for 162 games the blue jays are dead in the water i don't think anyone kind of expects that to happen i think this lineup is going to hit and they've been playing really good teams the schedule doesn't really let up so i think it's I would kind of understand doing nothing. I get what you're saying about getting guys, especially guys at the bottom of the order, especially the guys who are like not 120 OPS plus guys, not guys who are going to be huge sluggers and going to be driving in their own runs, doing little things. But I would be hesitant to make major changes, especially telling the guys at the top of the order to do anything else because you don't want to sacrifice kind of their general approach. And it's a general approach that worked last year. And it doesn't seem like pitchers are approaching them any differently. They're kind of, changing to them. They're chasing more than they did last year. They're going out of the zone more. So if they just get back to what they were last year and have a couple balls, go a little bit further, gather a couple hits, I feel like it could kind of steamroll into something, but we've also been saying that for 10 days. So mm-hmm. what do I know? I kind of thought tail coming back would be big for the team. I thought adding that run score in a run scoring spot would be huge. Maybe when he really starts to get his time down, it will end up being that trigger point that we thought it could be, but yeah, it's, I think everyone's frustrations are warranted and they're warranted because the team's frustrated too. But I also think it's the type of situation where something could change fast. Uh, we, we've kind of been going, I don't know if you have anything else to say on yeah, that. I, I, will, yeah. I, I don't mean to suggest that guys like Springer should start, you know, widening yeah. out and choking up w- with two strikes. Obviously, you know, those veterans have experience. And like you said, you know, Vlad chasing more at the start of the year. I'm not sure if those numbers have, work their way back to, to the middle, but yeah, for someone like him, you need to get back to that 2021 approach, right? That that's what worked. I mean to say more. Yeah. The guys like Tapia at the bottom of the order, Bradley Zimmer, you know, a guy who's just been striking out a ton. There's gotta be, and I know he's working, he's working on, you know, driving things more up the middle, keeping his swing more in a North South plane versus an East West thing. But there's got, you just, there's got to be something. They got to shake it up somehow. So if you, you know, choke up, like, of course it's more complex than, than choking up. I just want to see, I just want to see approaches change. I think that's, and Chapman's another guy who's got so much talent and so much power. It's just the chasing, right? And 
teams are going to get you on that kind of stuff. And, you know, if, if there's a runner on second, which is if there's runners in scoring position, they'll pitch around you, pitch around a guy like Chapman, spike curveballs, And if he's going to chase, those are, those are free swings. Those are free outs. Yeah. I think so, we were talking about like after that top four, then what happens? I think having one of Lourdes or Chapman really on and really on the hot streaks mm-hmm. that we've kind of, we've seen Lourdes get on one of these hot streaks. And I'm sure Matt Chapman, you just look at his season numbers, like he's going to have a hot streak in him at some point. Having one of those two guys to just put in the five hole and just really turn it from five eh, at bats at the bottom of the lineup to five really good at bats at the top of the lineup. I think that's just such an important pivot point that once one of them gets going, it'll really help kind of because the top of the order is going to get on base. And then that five hole, you really deep in the lineup. And I think having one of those two guys, or maybe it's Kirk, or maybe it's Santiago Esmal hitting fifth. I just think getting that one more guy would be super important for them. I don't hate the Espinal idea in, in the five hole. That's that's interesting. Or even you move me up, up higher to the two and move everyone yeah. down. I don't know. I have thought about Espinal in the two hole, actually. Yeah, your traditional two hitter. Mm-hmm. Um Everyone loves a second baseman with a 290 batting average in the two hole, just Primey and Kinsler up there. The get him over guy. Get him yeah. on, get him over, get him in. Um, okay, let me ask you this then. Who do you think in the Jays lineup is bearing the brunt of this pressure? Like who is who's feeling the squeeze the most or the most pressure to produce in this lineup, given that as a whole they've struggled so much? Just from kind of what I've seen, and this isn't like reported at all. This is more just like my eye test, my very uneducated eye test. I'd say probably Vlad. And like, he's good enough that he's still going to get his numbers, even when he's kind of coming out of his approach a little bit. And even when he's super frustrated, but I think it's for Vlad, it's a combination between him knowing he's the best hitter on this team and he's got to be the best hitter on this team. So when the team's not hitting, it falls on him. And also there's some frustrations And every single time he gets a pitch that he feels a little outside that they call a strike, he feels like he's getting cheated a little bit because he is. If if sometimes he thinks balls that are actually strikes are balls, but he also is getting a lot of those outside low and away pitches called strikes. And it's definitely frustrating him in at bats. And he's the type of guy who he can hit everything, but he's not going to swing at a ball. So if he thinks it's a ball, he's not going to swing. And then he's down a one. And I think it kind of can compile on him and just making it harder for him to do what he's doing. He's still the type of guy, like I said, who's going to get his numbers regardless of how he feels. Cause he's so talented, but I think he's definitely feeling it right now. Just from, from what I've seen. What about you? What do you think? So what you're telling me is the umpires have it out for the blue Jays. Well, I think this is, yeah, we can scrap the last, however many minutes and just, this has all been, a national United States agenda to get the blue Jays out of major league baseball because the U S dollar is weak right now. Yeah. They're Canadian <laughs> who wants that? Yeah. I mean, it seems like, like, I mean, Charlie Montoyo getting ejected three times mm-hmm. is not because Charlie's a hothead. Like you and I know him. He's one of the most mellow guys. Um, it's, it's clearly has something to do. I mean, Toronto has been unfortunate. There's been some bad calls and some, some like the, the tag on, on with Vladdy and, and Marwin Gonzalez in that rundown, like that's just unfortunate. The umpire missed it. I mean, what are you going to do? I don't think that game was, was within reach for Toronto anyways, but um, the Jimmy Garcia thing, that's a little, that's a little different, I guess. Um, yeah, I that don't was <laughs> I don't know what just else to say. It just didn't throw at him. I feel like it's, I try to be unbiased journalists. 
And, and I like, I considered tweeting something that day. I'm like, I'm just going to stay out of this, but like, we like, he didn't throw it. That's it's pretty simple. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's those damn slippery baseballs that <laughs> Manoa was talking about in Cleveland and everyone's talking about it now, but as we found out, it's not actually just this year. That's a problem. It's always all of these baseballs have always bugged pitchers. Um, but I guess that's enough for now. But to step away from all this doom and gloom, um, get a bit of refreshment to some of our Blue Jays takes, Mitch and I decided that it's worth checking in We've with some of the Blue Jays prospects. We've had a big enough sample size to, to get a bit of a glimpse into who's doing well and who's not doing well and... Mitch and I have kind of identified a few tantalizing individuals um, who we think are worth following and who should be pretty, you know, who should excite Blue Jays fans because it's always fun to look at the next wave. And as you never want anyone to do poorly, but it's always worth and it's always interesting to examine, you know, who who lives up to their potential. There's no there's no, you know, doubt in that. I think that's always fun. And um, and I love everyone likes a good underdog and everyone likes guys who are off the map and make their way, uh, into the limelight. So, uh, or into the spotlight, are those the same thing? I don't know. Does a lime cast light? Like, is that, is that the fruit? Is that where that saying comes from? I think that makes sense though. If also, put- I don't, don't mean to interrupt, but I got a little breaking news here. They are currently, this is per my eyes out of my window. Please <laughs> no one come find where I live, but. They're testing the Rogers Center roof right now. So if you're going to a Blue Jays home game anytime soon, the dome could be open. Nice. Yeah, we've been getting good weather. Hopefully, finally get one of those. Um, we won't see Lourdes like ducking and diving to try and dodge the, the lights flying through. I mean, he'll probably still do that anyways. Oh, yeah. There was the whole that. sunglasses saga last year. We <laughs> get that in Toronto now. Lourdes, the, the catwalks and the ceilings and all that stuff that makes playing the outfield at Rogers Center difficult does not help Lourdes. Uh, but back to our, <laughs> from our, our, our brief getaway. I sidetracked there. us there. Yeah. And, and limes and spotlight and all that. Um, there are, as I make a short story, super long, we want to talk about some prospects, Mitch, who are you most interested in? Yeah. I think it's funny. You kind of led that with finding guys living up to their potential and like seeing who doesn't, who does the, the first guy I've been super impressed with just kind of scouting the stat line and talking to a few people. Logan Warmoth. This is a first round pick of the Blue Jays from a really long time ago, back before the Ross Atkins, Mark Shapiro era. Uh, he was a shortstop, I believe, out of North Carolina. He's now playing corner outfield for the Buffalo Bisons, and he is mashing for really the first time in his career. He, I wrote about him last year after he got off to a similarly hot start. Uh, the stat line came way down. He finished with around a 700 OPS. So I think probably watch that. But the thing I'm most intrigued with is he's kind of have newfound extra base power. Last year, he had 15 doubles in 107 games. He's got nine doubles in his first 25 games right now. So if he's going gap to gap, there's a bit of an approach change. He's got like a 15% walk rate right now. He's a guy who would have been exposed to the rule five draft last year. So anybody could have taken him if they wanted to put him on the major league roster. Uh, He's got an uphill battle to get onto the blue Jays 40 man, just 
with a lot of similar profile, maybe more versatile outfield types with good walk rates. Uh, Samad Taylor comes to mind, uh, who I just wrote about today. But yeah, I think if he keeps doing this, if he keeps having a 450 on base percentage, like a 900 plus OPS, Warmest going to be a corner outfield guy who could come up at some point this year and fill in for a week, make his way onto the 40 man stick. And then we'll see how real this hot start is. Mm -hmm. Now, Warmoth, is that a transition he's made this year or did he play outfield last year? Yeah, I think it's, I don't know if he completely gave up on the infield last year, but he was also playing a little corner outfield. So he's done it for a few times, but he was at AAA for the whole season last year. So this is not a guy who's kind of been exposed to a new level. It's a guy who's maybe found a new level in himself this year. But yeah, he's been an outfielder for at least a couple of years now. I think post-COVID is when he made that transition. Yeah, yeah. I think we got a chance to see Warmoth in, in spring training and in that sim game, I think, where Kevin Gosman pitched against uh, some of the Jays minor leaguers. Yeah, interesting to follow him. And I guess keeping in keeping with the trend of uh, AAA and guys who are working to get to their potential, I suppose. Uh, Jordan Groshans is a guy that uh, I'm super interested in. And now he had an oblique injury at the start of the season, actually in spring training that kind of uh, killed his chances. Uh, well, he was never going to make the major league roster. He's not on the 40 man, but you know, that it's, it's held him up a little bit, I guess, in spring training and through nine games in AAA, he's done pretty well. He's hitting 355, uh, an OBP of 421. Um, he doesn't have a home run. So his slugging's at 387, but he's, he's done well. And I think that's promising. He's played five games at shortstop. Two games at third base. Um, I think, you know, again, another guy like Warmoth, I think he could benefit from a position change or at least more versatility in his game because Toronto is pretty clogged up with prospects at shortstop, at middle infield, even at third base. Um, you know, he told me in spring training that he doesn't, I mean, most guys will say this, but he told me he'll take reps anywhere, right? He says, I'll take reps in the corner outfield. No, I, I think he he really badly wants to make this major league roster. I think he badly wants to uh, prove himself um, because, you know, he had he had such a pedigree and he's you know, he's still young. He's only 22. Um, he's battled some injuries, but I think he's very, very close to getting on this major league roster. But like you said, same thing with Warmoth. There are some guys in front of him. I mean, and you wrote about Smod Taylor, too. Would you let's say the Jays need you know, an infielder, outfielder guy. Um, would you call up some odd Taylor before Jordan Groshans? I guess Otto Lopez would be the first guy up in the yes. situation because he's on the 40 man, right? Yeah, yeah All right. I think, yeah, that's tough. It's a good question. I think the organization definitely has Groshans ahead of Taylor in their pecking order right now. But then I don't know what that would mean for the major league call up. I think, Maybe because of that, they would be more likely to leave Groshans and have him playing a full season in AAA and give a guy like Taylor a shot if kind of the performing at similar levels. I think they're maybe a little less attached to Taylor. You can see that by them not putting him on the yeah. 40 man last year and exposing him. So they could, he's the type of guy you call up very similar to Vinny Capra and you give him a run, see what you got. And then if you end up having to make room for another guy, he's a guy who you're not then stuck with on the 40 man roster. I think Taylor would definitely get picked up by someone else if he ended up going on waivers, but then you can kind of give him a trial to see what you have there. Uh, I think in the short term, probably Taylor's ahead of him in the pecking order, but I do agree. I think we've talked about Groshans being a huge guy and he's made some good plays at shortstop in from our brief time, seeing him, 
but I do kind of see him as maybe a potential future corner outfielder uh, because it's the bat that's kind of his big promise. Uh, third base, it's probably a Relvis over him. So I don't know if you kind of push both of those guys over next year and kind of see what happens. Uh, but yeah, I think there's some defensive versatility you could benefit from there. One of the nice plays I did see, unless you had anything else to mention on uh, Groshans there, Groshans made a nice pick. I was watching Adrian Hernandez, who's a reliever for the Bisons. We're very Bison-centric right now. I promise we'll work our way down the minor league system. But yeah, Hernandez um, got a guy into a ground ball. Groshans moved over to his right, made a really nice pick and threw to first. And that was, I didn't even realize who the shortstop was. And then I had to go look it up and realize, oh, it's Groshans making a nice play. But yeah, back on Hernandez, this is kind of my guy right now. Mitch's, if there's, Mitch's angel. Oh yeah, exactly. This is <laughs> Mitch's Adrian. Um I've just been, I've watched a bunch of highlights of of him and it's not the type of guy you have to watch a lot of because he doesn't do a whole lot. He's really like a one pitch guy. He's 5'8", 190 pounds, and he throws a change up 55 to 60% of the time. And it just like fascinates me. And it clearly fascinates the Blue Jays too, because they started him in double A this year, four innings later, they were bumping him up to triple A. So they're trying to challenge this guy quick. He does like a Craig Kimbrell-esque stare-in from the mound too. It's just there's nothing about Adrian Hernandez that I'm not truly fascinated in. His changeup's not like a Marco Estrada late-life diving one that he throws straight. It's very kind of Trevor Richards-esque, maybe Devin Williams-esque, where it's got a lot of like horizontal movement. I think there's been rumblings that he's also got a screwball or maybe that pitch is a screwball, which is just what adds to the aura of Adrian Hernandez, yeah, what, no one else has written about it. And so I'm, I'm got to like make some calls and figure yeah, out if it's you got to get to Buffalo. Yeah. Is, I might a, be getting on a, the latest bus down the QEW. A screwball. Yeah. You could join, you could join Bowden Francis and Andrew Vasquez going yeah, up and down the, yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll yeah. hit your ride, but it's, yeah, he's got I guess a, a pitch that spins like arm side and like flies away. How I understand a screwball is it's like a high spin rate changeup, which sounds like not a real thing, but I think it is. Yeah. It kind of acts like a changeup has a lot of that horizontal run, but it's because it has a lot of spin that it makes that, but then it goes not that fast. And it has like the same kind of pace change that a changeup does. Uh, it seems like he kind of has a traditional changeup and that one, and maybe why he's a 60% changeup guys. Cause he's got a couple of variations change on it. Double changeup. Yeah. It's working 18 strikeouts in a level inning. 11 innings he has not allowed a hit since he got to triple a and he's pitching like leverage innings for the bisons another guy not on the 40 man but if the blue jays want to bring someone really funky up trevor richards is out for 10 days and you want to replace what you kind of get from him in the bullpen Mm -hmm. i really think we could see hernandez in the big leagues this year yeah and hernandez is they're not giving him a, a run as a starting pitcher he's a reliever now no, yeah, I think there was discussion in spring about, oh, is this guy going to be like a swingman type? Or are you going to see what you have with him in, uh, in the rotation, in a minor league rotation? I think they're all aboard the Adrian Hernandez, mm. maybe one inning role in a bullpen, not even kind of a, an inning seater yeah. type. Yeah, for sure. Truly fascinating. A guy's 5'8", 190, coming out of the pen for one inning, giving it all he's got, and he's throwing screwballs and changeups. Um, definitely interesting. Definitely something to follow. Um, another guy who is kind of a, a specimen in his own is uh, Leo Jimenez. And he's with uh, high a Vancouver right now. He's an infielder who is like this physical beast of a guy that we've talked about before on this podcast, I believe um, when we were down in Dunedin. Uh, yeah. Big, you know, upper body 
Um, got a got quite the swing. Uh, he's only 20 years old, and he's funny enough the uh, hit by pitch god or the OBP god. Um, I think it is because it must be because the shoulders are so, he's so wide. wide. He's turning into all these pitches on the inside. <laughs> he's got to go through doors sideways. Um, <laughs> yeah, so in 173 minor league games, uh, he's been hit 40 times. That seems like a lot. Um, you should play for the also- Mets. Yeah, <laughs> it's those baseballs. They have them in the minors too, I guess. Um, but only in high A Vancouver. Uh, 103 walks to 112 strikeouts in his minor league career. Very good. And I think uh, I always love OBP guys. I like patient hitters. I like guys who take their walks. I think, um, you know, he's not Juan Soto, but uh, I like guys who have that approach from a young age. Samad Taylor is another guy who's shown that kind of uh, patience. Appreciate that. In 2022, uh, he's been off to a solid start. The batting average isn't very high, but the OBP is high because of some hit by pitches, um, not exclusively. So he has a 412 OBP. Uh, 796 OPS. The power doesn't seem to be there. And this is kind of the fascinating part. Cause I know when you and I were watching Jimenez take batting practice, we're like, who the hell is this guy? Like, and he's, he's crushing baseballs. You know, he's driving them to the pull side to pull gap, you know, hitting it over the fence. Um, and you go and you, you look at his stats and he's got like, you know, a handful of minor league home runs. He's got really nothing. So I'm curious if, Maybe that's an approach change that he can hit for power, or maybe he's just a five o'clock hitter. I don't think so. Um, either way, you know, I'm interested to see how he progresses through the minors. Um, and yeah, I think he's one of the more exciting guys in this minor league system. Yeah, I think I'll stick. This is my final guy here on that Vancouver team. Another guy who's uh, pitching to or pitching in front of Leo Jimenez, Sam Roberts. He's a kind of very raw guy or la- this time last year, he was seen in the organization as a very raw kind of, what do we have here type who quickly proved he was too good for the Dunedin blue Jays team. Like he just, the stats weren't like popping off the page, but a couple guys I've um, spoken to basically said like, yeah, we knew from a couple starts in that he shouldn't be at this level. And then they moved him up to high a with Vancouver and he struggled. He, he kind of got hit around the almost perfect command he had just disappeared. So I'm not sure if it was, uh, he was maybe scared of the higher level or if there was just like moving locations. I know Vancouver was playing in like weird parts of the Northwestern United States. I'm sure that was weird for a guy who's not from North America. Um, This year he's refound the control at that level. He's pitching for Vancouver again. He's got, I think in 22 innings pitch, he's got three walks. He's got a 2.0 ERA. Uh, I think from what I know of him, he's kind of like a two seam, four seam. I don't know if it's curveball or slider. He's got a breaking ball of sorts and a changeup, but his thing is like a super repeatable, refined delivery, which for a guy that was seen as really raw is very interesting to me. It's not like the eye popping velocity with him. It's the repeatable delivery and the great control. Everything I've kind of read and heard is he's kind of in the mold of a Gunnar Hogland type that this organization kind of likes as their future back of the rotation types he's not going to be a guy who's going to have 10 strikeouts per nine the strikeouts are solid he's at about one per inning in the minors right now but those as he progresses will likely go down he's got a fastball velocity that's ticking up but yeah it's a super interesting guy to have what was seen as a raw guy be a very refined pitcher in lower minors and i think he's the type of guy who could finish in double a this year and then be kind of pushing the triple a major league conversation at some point next year Mm -hmm. i'm uh yeah, it's cool. It's cool that he's 
Dutch. I think that's interesting. You don't hear of too many Dutch baseball players. Um, I don't know if there have been any. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to ask you. CJ Van Eyck, not Dutch. Like, that's got to be the most Dutch name ever. And then he's not Dutch. I'm sure this is yeah, American Dutch. Dutch guys. Yeah, um, true. Yeah, keeping with the the repeatable delivery and 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 kind of that that slickness that stands out when you see a minor league prospect. One guy that I've been really interested in is Josper Zulueta. And uh, apologies to him and everyone if I'm pronouncing that wrong, but he's a 24 year old from Cuba, uh, and you know he's pitching, uh, I believe, in yeah Low A Dunedin. Um, so that you know that initially doesn't make sense because. 24 year old, you'd expect to be a little bit higher in the minors. Uh, but he had Tommy John surgery in 2020, came all the way back, then tore his ACL, I believe, doing PFPs. So some bad luck for him, but he signed for a million dollars out of Cuba in 2019. And you can see why he throws in a hundred mile per hour fastball. He draws some big crowds when he pitches. Um, and he's been excellent so far in two starts uh, with Dunedin. You know, he's seven and in one innings, third seven and one third of an innings pitched 13 strikeouts, uh, only three walks. He's been good. He has that calm delivery and it's, it's a very easy high nineties, which I think is interesting. I kind of look at his delivery and I think of a guy like, you know, Bruce Dar Gratterall or a Roberto Osuna who had that kind of smoothness and, you know, his breaking ball is actually quite a lot like Osuna's. It's kind of like a, a big looping curve. So he has the fastball, the curveball, he has a slider as well. I'm not too sure if he's working on a changeup, but I imagine, you know, he'll eventually need that that type of pitch going the other way, something to throw to lefties if he does, you know, end up being a starting pitcher later in his career. Um, the one start I looked at, you know, he was intimidating. I'd put it as effectively wild. Uh, he's he's not a super tall guy. He's 6'1", 190 listed, but, you know, he looks he looks thick, defined. He looks like he could be a, uh, a starting pitcher. He has the durability for it. I mean, apart from his first two injuries, of course. Um, yeah, a guy who might be better off as a relief pitcher down the line where you can just max out and you can throw, but uh, his delivery looks clean. It looks repeatable. Uh, yeah, Zulueta is a guy I would definitely keep my eye on. You know, Even though he's only Toronto's 19th best prospect, according to MLB Pipeline, uh, definitely someone who's interesting and worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, I think I've been told that he is, I don't even, this might just be public knowledge, that he is on like kind of a rehab assignment right now. So they're going to kind of push him up the minor leagues pretty quick. I think he'll probably get to Vancouver in the next like month. And mm -hmm. then after that, he could really climb. I think how fast they climb is based on like if they see him as a long-term starter or a long-term reliever. I'm kind of inclined with every single time someone goes hundred miles an hour and has injury issues, just like toss them in the pen and that's what a late reliever. But yeah, exactly. If, if they did that with everyone, we wouldn't have the Nate Pearson discussion still ongoing. So they clearly um, want to hold on to guys like that as potential rotation options. Cause a hundred mile an hour starter is a pretty sick asset to have. Um, but yeah, he's definitely like very fascinating and it's there. The blue Jays are a team that is in kind of, win now for sure but that doesn't mean they don't have super intriguing prospects and i think one of this organization's calling cards has been uh the ability to kind of develop these international signings and these guys that they're finding and kind of keeping tabs on since they were like actually children and then developing them once they get in the organization into really good ball paper ball players pretty quickly i think we've seen guys who are 16 climb 
the organization fast. Gabriel Moreno is kind of an anomaly in that he has been in the organization for six years. Usually we see these guys a lot faster. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think mentioning they're in win now, they're definitely in win now this weekend because they're in some desperate need of some wins to kind of get back on track. And I do kind of find it funny. We spent the first half of this podcast talking about kind of what's wrong and how can they fix it, but then they go and they take two or three from Tampa this weekend. The narratives completely yeah. change. Uh, how do you kind of see the preview or the importance of these uh, couple games in Tampa for the big league team? Mm-hmm. I think it's exciting. I, I always love when Toronto matches up against Tampa. It seems to be always difficult when they play at Tropicana field. Um, I guess that building's cursed. I mean, we drove past it on the highway a bunch of times on our trips to Dunedin and uh, I feel like I got a headache every time. So maybe there's uh, gamma rays or that might've just been the, the smell of the, what was it? Garbage deposit right beside it. <laughs> what was your music playlist selection? Yeah. Um, anyway, no, the, ma- the pitching matchups are interesting. And I think Toronto has a good chance to, like you said, come, come away with two of uh, two of three. So Gosman versus Rasmussen. On Friday, we know how good Gosman's been. I think that's, uh, it's obviously not a lock, but I think that's an advantage Toronto is what I would say in that one. And, you know, we'll see how that goes. Saturday is perhaps the more um, intriguing outing in that it's expected to be Hunjin's Ryu, Hunjin Ryu's return uh, from the injured list. He was dealing with that forearm inflammation. Um, we don't know how long he's going to go. You know, Ross Stripling's expected to be a part of that start in some capacity. Uh, and he's up against Ryan Yarbrough, which I think is hilarious because there's a lot of volatility in that matchup. Um, so that'll be a really interesting one. And then on Sunday, it'll be Manoa versus Corey Kluber. Um, Manoa's dominated the Rays multiple times. Um, he had a frustrating outing last time around. I think he'll come in and the big man will be fired up. Let's put it that way. So I think, I think it'll be an interesting series. Um, they, uh, they seem like winnable games, but you know, with Toronto's roster, every game probably seems winnable. Um, they'll definitely need to take advantage of it though, because they're chasing Tampa in the division now. Uh, and for the wild card, Toronto's holding on to that third spot as we record this. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it'll be interesting. Is there anything else you're looking for? Yeah. I think that reuse start is kind of like a must watch just how mm-hmm. they use him, how quick the hook is on him and obviously how he looks, him versus Yarbrough, if they call up Adrian Hernandez, that would be <laughs> the most change-ups good. ever in one outing. Yeah, but I think that is kind of an interesting, like that game could go in so many different directions. We don't know how good Ryu is going to be. You don't know how good Yarbrough is going to be. Yarbrough's the type of guy who he could go like eight shutout against the Blue Jays just because that's what Ryan Yarbrough does. Uh, but yeah, I, I watched uh, Ryu's rehab start in Buffalo and it, for, at times, it was vintage Ryu. He had a couple innings where he was in and out in eight pitches, exactly what you would hope he would be doing against minor league batters. And then he had what he's kind of had at times in the minors over the last six or seven months, where he just has one really bad inning, and it kind of gets away from him. He had a, an error behind him that didn't help. Uh, it kind of extended the inning, and then he gave up a really kind of back-breaking homer. But I'm very interested in the fastball velocity, especially after coming back from a forearm inflammation. And I'm very interested in the change of command. I feel like we've been beating the table on those two things for you for a long time, but that's what we got to kind of look for. And Gosman and Manoa are going to be Gosman and Manoa. So I'm a little less concerned about those two starts. I'm very, I feel like the pivot point, I feel like I've said pivot point three times this episode, but the pivot point of that series is definitely the Ryu start. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. Did you get a chance to look at Reeves' velocity in that start? No, there was no radar gun on the broadcast I was watching, Classic. but Mike Harrington of the Buffalo News said that he was hovering around 90 miles an hour, which is kind of what he's been. But hovering around 90 miles an hour kind of means a lot for Ryu. Yeah. I feel like if he's at 91, it's, it's there. If he's at if 89, it's 88. Not, so yeah. Yeah. It, it can, that didn't tell us a whole lot. Yeah. Well, Toronto is, like we said at the top, three and seven in their last 10. Uh, some, something's got to give, you know, they're pressing. Um, so there'll be a lot to watch this series. Uh, we'll, Mitch and I will be watching it. Hopefully all you Blue Jays fans are watching too. And uh, maybe the next time we record this, there'll be a little bit more optimism uh, and Toronto will be uh, a little bit higher in the standings chasing uh, those pesky Yankees. So you can hope for that. Mitch and I will be here uh, and feel free to check out our coverage at si.com slash MLB slash Blue Jays. Um, We're going to push a lot more content once Toronto comes back. Um, So we appreciate you guys following along. And as always, thanks for listening.